presentation by Dr. Anuradha Odumudi. Uh, she's a senior medical geneticist, one of the very few female, you know, medical geneticists in India. She's a co-founder of India's premier, uh, one of the most premier genetic labs. Uh, she's been working with us, uh, with Sushi Madurai, on various intersex uh, human rights policy issues. She's been part of uh, various government initiatives where we have been deliberating on how to, you know, develop a framework of protection of human rights of gender variant communities, intersex people. Uh, today she'll be talking about Indic perspective of sex, gender and sexuality through science. I mean, uh, with her background, uh, we've, we've got to learn a lot, uh, you know, a completely different perspective which is not even known among medical practitioners. So it's a great opportunity to, you know, hear from her, Dr. Anuradha Udumudi. Thank you, Prashant. Hi everyone, Namaste Pranam. After such an exciting talk and such a knowledgeable talk by Dr. G, Mrs. Mrs. GP, I don't know what I will do here. That's why I think you gave me 10 minutes. <laughs> so, um, first of all, certain disclaimers. Uh, I am not an intersex or a, an expert on uh, sex, gender, sexuality issues. I'm a scientist. I'm a medical geneticist. I run a genetics laboratory. So my association with um, uh, uh, the subject is as a medical uh, uh, geneticist where I worked with hundreds of families where children are born with ambiguous genitalia where they cannot classify them as a male or a female. And then uh, I have experienced uh, the um, dilemmas of even medical community, uh, doctors, uh, peers of families. And I have seen these children uh, go through certain medical interventions and uh, without interventions, how they grow up. And even as an adolescent or young adults, they come back to laboratories and uh, with certain presentations. So um, I thought I will present today um, a certain scientific aspect. Uh, I have 10 minutes and I have 18 slides. So let's see how I am going to do this. Um, uh, and uh, I hope I will uh, give you a, 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 a different kind of outlook drishtikon to this problem and um, uh, um, to the issue as such. So I have listed a few things here what I will be presenting. Of course, by now you understand that I will be presenting from the perspective of a medical uh, a geneticist. I will be talking about the sex differentiation aspect, scientific aspect. When I say scientific, I mean the modern genetic science. And then I will also be talking about certain medical practices that are in place today. And uh, uh, I have, uh, um, I think I've been working in this field for 25 years. So I have seen how the science of genetics itself changed. And I have seen how it has revolutionized the way we look at uh, uh, human development and sex differentiation. So I will be talking about some of those exciting developments also. Uh, and since this is an Indic perspective uh, conference, uh, I uh, would say I've dared a little bit to talk about the ancient perspective also. 
and I have included certain scientific uh, information from Ayurveda because that's the way I could connect the present science to the ancient science that uh, we traditionally have carried forward. Um, I, I'm sure there are other experts who will be talking about that. So I have a few slides at the end about that. And then I have certain questions from scientific perspective which I will be putting forth and we can discuss probably those things. And I will be drawing similarities between uh, and also differences between the modern science and the uh, ancient traditional science on this subject. So these are chromosomes. Uh, I hope all of you have seen this picture somewhere or the other, either in Google or uh, somewhere. So these are our chromosomes. Every cell has 46 chromosomes and uh, the only difference between the binaries for so-called male and female is that we females have two X chromosomes and males have X and Y chromosome. Otherwise, rest of the chromosomes are all same both in males and females and those chromosomes, the 22 pairs are called autosomes. So I'll be using this word autosomes in my lecture. And the last pair is called sex chromosome, which is XX in female and XY in male. So if we go and a little further, so how is this number maintained constant from generation to generation? And this is what happens. When we are uh, producing uh, the ova or the egg or the sperm, uh, then what happens is the 46 chromosomes, because they all come in pairs, they absolutely divide into half and then the female produces eggs with an X chromosome and male produces uh, sperms with either an X chromosome or a Y chromosome and then the fusion of an X sperm with the X makes a female XS, uh, XX and a fusion of a sperm carrying Y brings about a XY now, this is a com this is common knowledge, and I'm sure most of you know about this. But I anyway wanted to talk about it. Uh, but even the medical community have stopped understanding sex at this point. XX is male and XY is female. But the science has actually uh, progressed further, and this slide shows you that each chromosome contains what we call a double helical structure called DNA. On this DNA, there are four nucleotides of chemical composition that makes up the genetic code. And this genetic code produces what are called proteins. And these proteins perform different functions in our body. The way we, the our color, the way we uh, understand things, our cognitive behavior, our medical, hormonal, all kinds of development is dependent on these genes which produce certain proteins because of a code. And then there is a difference or variation between these codes. For example, all of us have 99.9% similar code, but there is that little bit, 0.1 to 1% of variation that uh, we have makes you a different person from what I am. And this variation is extremely important in all subjects, including sex differentiation. So uh, let's talk about that a little. Mm. Okay. So as uh, 
friends, as Vicky also was mentioning, uh, we all start off as a um, gender or sex neutral embrace. So if you see the gestation, I am sorry, I have not, I think, uh, yeah, okay. So if you see that after the conception, sex determination happens somewhere around seven weeks to 10 weeks. Until then, the fetus does not have a sex. It is a genderless um, uh, fetus that has formed. At the time of seven weeks in mother's womb, sex differentiation starts. And this sex differentiation is triggered by one gene, which is called as SRY gene. And this specific gene is present on Y chromosome. So if the fetus has been, the, the, the conception has occurred because of a sperm that has carried Y chromosome, then the, the sex development starts as a Y. So this is the pathway that it takes. If you see the SRY pathway, which develops the male sex organs and uh, 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 develops into a male, in the absence of SRY, then it goes into a female development. All this happens after 10 weeks of uh, gestation. But the interesting part is there are several genes in our body um, that contribute to sex differentiation other than the gene SRY. And uh, they all these genes contribute both in female development and also in male development means uh, what I mean to say is for example there is a very common hormone called follicle stimulating hormone which, which is we call as FSH it is produced by a gene FSHR and this particular follicle stimulating hormone helps in the production of testes in males and ovary in females. Similarly there is uh, the LH hormone which also works both in male and female and not only in the development of reproductive system, a lot of these genes which are very, very crucial for reproductive system also function uh, in other bodily developments. So with that small background of how genes function and how uh, they help in sex differentiation, let us understand broadly what the medical science uh, has put forth. Um, broader classification which today we all know that it is an uh, it is inadequate information of how you classify sex um, the biological sex also to that matter so there are three types of problems that uh, everybody sees in their clinic one is if there is an issue with the number of sex chromosomes so if you have an extra X or if you have an extra Y or if you have a less number of sex chromosome, it can result in a different presentation. So now uh, the presentation of sex is not binary. It is already known. This slide is known to all medical communities. And uh, so if you see in the first sex chromosome chain, you can either lose a chromosome or you can have an extra chromosome or the second point says that you can have both 46XX and a 46XY composition. That means the body will have both the cell lines. A few cells have XX and few cells have 
XY. And these individuals develop with what is called mixed gonadal dysgenesis with the presence of both male and female sex organs. So it, it, the medical complications are clearly understood and this is being pursued. Then the second type is where you have a 46XX which is genetic female uh, uh, classification with differences in female sex development. Similarly, where, where you can have virilization, where you can have production of androgens and there are other hormonal uh, issues also. Then you can have a 46XY with wide range of presentation with uh, differences in sex development. They can have uh, female uh, uh, organs or they can have uh, uh, complete male organs but do not develop secondary sexual characters and things like that. So this is a broad classification of uh, 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 biological or genetic sex based on the uh, chromosomal component. But there is a lot more beyond this. There are more than 100 genes that are responsible for sex development, which the medical community today is, I would say, is almost unaware of. So therefore, uh, the developmental biology actually gives you a good spectrum of presentations and acknowledges that you cannot have binary vision of sex. And these genes are extremely important in sexual development. You can have a Y chromosome, but then you could develop into a female phenotype, what we call as. And that happens because there is complexity and there are there is contribution of hundreds of genes that come from other chromosomes. So calling XY as sex chromosomes, uh, I don't know to what extent although in majority of cases it's a female and male, uh, it is still not sufficient uh, to just uh, uh, have such a simplistic view of uh, uh, genetic sex. Uh, what you see here, I'm not going to explain this, uh, but what you see here is pretty complex. Each diagram, uh, the first diagram for example, shows how SRY gene interacts with other pathways, rest of the other genes. So you can have an SRY gene, but anything can happen in this pathway with any other gene and there will be a difference in sex development. And so having a Y, I mean you know of certain court cases where uh, in US because uh, they have, he, the, the, the person had an XY karyotype or a chromosomal component, uh, even though the presentation was female, they did not accept as a female because of the genetic sex, uh, which was determined only based on chromosomal component. Well, there is another gene called SOX9 gene, which is very, very important in sex development. Again, you can see the complex pathway that is involved. And each of those things that are numbered there or uh, you know named are all genes so it is not just the xx and xy and there is a, a pretty good complexity that developmental biologist or a developmental geneticist understands and uh, it's not also just the um, uh, there are certain medical issues that uh, we need to 
uh, pay attention to such as cardiovascular skeletal issue or MRKH syndrome. Now when this uh, presentation occurs, these females have uh, um, eggs in their ovaries but they do not have the female reproductive organs to become pregnant and, and they present certain different secondary sexual characters. So I'm just trying to introduce how the spectrum of presentations are and uh, it requires a good teamwork of lot of medical specialities to attend these uh, babies, infants and adolescents with differences in sex development. Beyond that, so starting with chromosomes and then looking at multiple genes, there's something beyond the genes also which is called epigenetics. That is the way our genetic um, uh, structure, the DNA, folds and unfolds is dependent on what you eat, your environment and also what you inherit from your parents. So these are, these are certain changes called methylation and there are other um, uh, processes that occur which can, so your genetic material is also not very inert in the sense it's not like you know it won't react with anything else because your genetic material is reacting to environment and it is changing and therefore the expression of sex, sexuality and gender all these things are dynamic they are not you know coded and then just sitting there so that is also another point that we need to understand and a lot of research is going on in this area uh, so uh, my uh, point here is strict belief in absolute sexual dimorphism is incorrect and this is what scientists believe they have been uh, but then la, uh, there is confusion of its application in the actual uh, society um, neither the doctors nor families are able to understand this complexity and uh, many a times this sexual dimorphic and binary sex concept is so strongly ingrained that corrections are being made uh, and uh, we need to look into that aspect very uh, carefully now. Now uh, there is uh, Blackless et al. They have put up these bell curves and have shown that around 1% approximately uh, the prevalence of you know, pure male and pure female, there, there's about 1% of overlap and that overlap is because of hormonal, chromosomal, uh, you know, a lot of other gene, gene variations that are possible and these are naturally presented uh, in some of the, um, in this overlapping area. And uh, this also challenges the need for surgical intervention purely based on chromosomal component. So what are we able to do today? Um, we, we are offering to the medical community and also to families uh, a, a deeper analysis and not so that they don't depend purely on the chromosomal component in assigning a genetic sex uh, to the baby and uh, you know so we are able to navigate their management much more better at this point of time. Um, then what we don't have is lack of data. Uh, today really we don't, I, I have actually done 200 cases of uh, diagnosis from past 20 years 
and i tried to contact them after thanks to indic academy and my husband i've met gopi you know calls me akka and i work with him and so we have kind of worked and i looked up all these cases tried to talk to the families what happened and we could you know just talk to 50 of them out of 200 and uh, we could contact 50 and out of these 50 maybe five of them had some interventions and uh, rest of them uh, did not and uh, it's 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 a huge task i mean uh, six of our my phd's were talking to these families and uh, we really need to understand what are the things that are happening in their lifetime and uh, you know follow up do a, a social and scientific research grants have to be given on those lines so that we come up with some scientific data and then based on that data we uh, see how we can um, uh, you know help the community and make sure that you know there are no biases so both scientific and social aspects have to be researched so now that's the scientific part uh, where uh, how sex is being determined and how medical community approaches and what needs to be done in terms of medical intervention and help to the uh, children who do not present uh, binary sex um, i have not covered a lot about um, gender identity and sexuality here because being a scientist i do not have myself that data available to me and uh, uh, so that is where i have stopped with my experience of uh, um changes in sex uh, development so now looking at the traditional perspective uh, i was going through lot of ayurvedic texts after not knowing sanskrit myself i have to depend on english translations so uh, looking at the english translations and understanding some of the papers i do know that uh, traditionally we looked at what is called prakriti instead of classifying it into two types so they have divided it into three prakritis stri prakriti pums prakriti and trithiya prakriti a lot of information is available on trithiya prakriti and we were, i was very happy to uh, look at that information that's available um if the female seed is inflicted they call it varta and if the male seed is inflicted they call it tanputrika these are the terminologies and according to sushruta samhiti which is the major some uh, samhita that i could look at uh, preponderance of male seed will give birth to male child preponderance of female will give birth to female child and both male and female in equal quantity will give rise to trithiya prakriti now probably you can connect to the modern science also here where it says both xx and xy in a single individual we call it as intersex so maybe uh, and beyond that trithiya prakriti also included sexuality and gender identity is something that i have learned after i did little bit of uh, read uh, reading in this area um, as of now genetics doesn't talk anything about sexuality and genes it does not have any proof as of now uh, but a lot of trithiya prakriti uh, 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 
related uh, texts have talked about it and uh, I've come to understand that there are uh, Bruhatrai and Lagutrai, 6th century uh, texts and then 13th century texts and then there are latest Samhitas that are available also which talk about uh, uh, Triti Pekriti including modern research. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but uh, the Shandatva that uh, they talk about is of five types described in uh, uh, Sushruta Samhita and uh, many other places the Shandatva has been described as 20 uh, types, 20 types and I, it was pretty impressive to see such wide variety of uh, presentations described in our uh, ancient texts. And um, even the third gender, women third gender called as Nastri are also clearly uh, classified. So, and uh, I have also found that the transgender and homosexuality issues are also quite clearly uh, mentioned and explained in these texts, although I am not an expert and I will be looking forward to hear, a more, hear more about this uh, from other authors. Uh, I also tried to peep into these texts and see if I can find any attitudes uh, towards uh, the subject. And uh, I have found that the they have divided the uh, issue into two types, innate and curable. Now, this is where the catch is. Being a scientist, I probably am thinking what is the attitude of traditional uh, 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 science and uh, uh, towards this issue and uh, many times I have found things like this happens because of the misdeeds of Purvajanma the other scholars can elaborate on that and discussion of cure especially to homosexuality is also discussed uh, so where do we stand on uh, is it the understanding and not just the uh, ancient texts the classification and the observation part is fantastic fantastic but then the uh, when they talk about uh, the reason behind why this is happening I mean to a scientific mind uh, I'm still a little bit confused I hope others can uh, help in clearing that confusion. Even the latest Ayurveda research, um, Saroj Kumar Sahu in 2019 and Niranjan Kedar and Kabuki, as latest as 2019, uh, they do talk about curing homosexuality, which they call the Kruta Kama. And these are publications and uh, uh, NIH, NCBI publications. So I'm not sure what was the attitude and how we should uh, interpret these texts and how we can, uh, you know, uh, work out. Even for that matter, Baba Ramadev's claim to cure was also everybody knows about that. So uh, this made me think, is this the ancient attitude towards sex, gender and sexuality traditionally or is there anything beyond that? Uh, clearly what I understood is that um, the natural presence and observation of these presentations was very respectfully done in our texts. We have to 
give them very respectfully there was no uh, uh, criminalization that i i have noticed and uh, uh, as a matter of fact it, it they are there it is there and uh, that i think was is the greatest thing that and with see with to what giti ma'am spoke um, uh, it touched me touched me very deeply mm. and i think she spoke uh, the philosophy the deeper meaning of things and to me although i am a scientist i know that science is always at the periphery but then we all have to go through that science to go to the deeper meaning of uh, what we are doing and science and philosophy can work together and uh, i think that's where we need to do lot of work we need to um, do research and uh, in all fields as i said social scientific every field and try to understand and at the end of the day it's the truth that uh, has to prevail it does not matter what our uh, uh, ancient traditions said it it does matter they, but then at the end of the day the truth and therefore i think that kind of um, collaborative research will be required we definitely our traditional uh, uh, sometimes i feel the way they have classified uh, it's almost like my genetic science you know the everything is okay except here and this is therefore because of this so without any laboratory without having to actually visualize the dna sequence uh, just by observation the spectrum was very clearly presented in our text and then uh, definitely we cannot compare it with the western and christian uh, uh, attitudes and i will not again go into those details um, and lot of amardas uh, text called tritiya prakriti has also given uh, several forms of divine uh, uh, divine uh, entities that you know are present in our traditional cultures like you know ardhanarishwara arjuna forms and uh, sri bahuchara devi uh, the icon today we are all uh, uh, you know talking about and uh, even the cross dressing uh, traditions i am sure many of you will talk about this i am very curious to listen and understand those things so uh, my in summary i would say to an indian mind uh, like art which is i think was is always scientific and which is very observing type it should not be a challenge to accept the wide spectrum of presentations in sex differentiation both on the scientific front and also based on our tradition so with that i think uh, uh, i'm sure i've taken more than 10 minutes but thank you so much for your patience and i'm looking forward to other talks thank you